Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. Welcome to The Art of Social Media podcast. I'm super excited to have Justin Levy with us today. Justin is the director of social and influencer marketing at Demandbase. Justin, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Uh, hello to Connecticut. I lived in Connecticut for some time, so I love the place. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we were here for uh, this where we grew up. Then we moved to the Bay Area for 10 years and just uh, came back home about a year and a half ago. So we're excited to be back here. Wonderful. Awesome, Justin. So... I, I read your intro on LinkedIn, and it's a pretty heavy intro, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Why don't you kind of give me your origin story, right? Every hero has one. Like, what is your origin story? Yeah, so I've been involved in social media for about 15 years now. I was involved with it in the very early days when there weren't a, you know agencies involved and Everyone was trying to figure out how to use this for business and figure out case studies. And this was before media had it at the bottom thirds of all of their handles and things of that nature. And I started an agency with one of the early adopters. Uh, his name was Chris Brogan. It was right when he came out with his book called Trust Agents, which went on to become a New York Times, Wall, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, CEO Reed best-selling book across the board. And what that did was that attracted a lot of brands to him asking to obviously help them bring about what he talked about in the book, right? So we built this agency. It was one of the first agencies in the business along with a couple of others. And our kind of you know reason for being was to go help brands. And so we worked with brands from... Citrix to PepsiCo, Microsoft, AMD, Molson Coors, and more. And we built up that business over a couple of years. I moved on from there to Citrix to lead social media for Citrix because previously the agency was who they used for social media efforts. I went on from there to work for ServiceNow with some consulting and speaking, wrote a book in the middle of all of that. And you know, now I found my way over to demand base. Awesome. Quite a journey. And yeah, agency, you know, generally produces great talent. So I'm not surprised uh, uh corporates and B2Bs uh, you know have kind of grabbed you on. Good to know. Help me understand your role, Justin. What does director of social and influencer marketing do at demand base? Yeah. So when I first came here, I was the first full-time hire within our content team to focus solely on social and influencer marketing. And at that time, those were my two main focus areas. But as time went on, we built out our social team a little more formally. And that became a separate team within our content team where we all sit. Uh, We have influencer marketing, private communities, social, our blog, editorial, kind of all of our content development sits under uh, one team. And so as I transitioned to my role to be less focused on social, I really doubled down on influencer marketing. But also at the same time, 
this concept of private communities really started to creep in. So now it's something that I own for the company is our private community strategy company-wide in addition to, again, obviously my influencer marketing role. Interesting. I would love to jump on to influencer marketing and private community in a bit, but help me understand. Demandbase recently passed 50,000 followers, I believe, on LinkedIn, like a 3x growth compared to last year. How, how did you make this happen? What's, what's your secret? One of the things that we really spent time focused on is the type of content that people responded to. And we paid attention to the metrics very closely. So we did things like test carousels. We took advantage. We tried a carousel once. It did really well. It's our highest performing asset by, say, 5 or 6x. And so then we doubled down on that, working with our creative team to consistently on a near weekly basis, have a carousel based around a topic that was important to the business. So we did things like that. We started to come up with multiple ways to communicate our podcast episodes. So not just the one tired graphic every single time, but can we mix in audiograms? Can we mix in just some different types of creative uh, that help that to stand out? So we worked on those types of things social video. So we would take larger pieces of video that we have on DBTV, which is the B2B industry's first streaming network. And we create social clips of that as opposed to just right on a status update, for example, that said, now go watch the video over here. We'd have that video sliced to a, a key aspect of that. So we we played with all of these different types of content and different products that were available to us within LinkedIn. And as we found the ones that were most successful, we accelerated the pace at which we use them. I also think there are some other things that helped. Certainly last February, almost a year to the day, we relaunched our brand with a fresh look and a new mascot and some new ways that we could kind of play with the brand socially and bring that brand to life. So that, of course, helped to drive new reach and engagement. But it was a combination of all of those things. It was not any one thing like our reach just accelerated. And you know we didn't make any changes back here. Everything we did, we monitored very closely. And if something didn't hit well, we just pulled back on it. You know, we launched our weekly newsletter. And, you know, around the same time, somewhere around last week, we surpassed a thousand followers or subscribers on the newsletter by itself. Right. But that didn't happen overnight. It was, it was a pain of like, you know, week in and week out, it was like five subscribers, then 15 and then 20, but it hits a natural inflection point that if the content stays consistent and stays good, the community starts to respond. Yep. And that's what I've learned after, you know, speaking to a lot of guests on podcast. You got to be consistent. You got to be like helpful. The content doesn't have to be like very salesy, but you know, that's how consistency kind of trumps everything else. You mentioned about uh, content and like you're giving a lot of credit to your content team and that's wonderful. But what does the strategy look like? Like what is the KPIs that the content team kind of, you know, lives for? Like how do you define good content? What's your brief to them? Sure. So when it comes to social specifically, I think 
the team certainly looks at a few key areas. One, of course, reach matters, right? You want to continue to drive the broadest reach that you can. To do that, you need an increase in followers. But what matters most to us with that is our engagement rate. So one of the things you talked about that, you know, 3x or 2 to 3x increase in followers last year, one of the things that always mattered to us with that was that we kind of EQ'd the engagement rate. So our engagement rate is 2 to 3x what LinkedIn says is good for a company page. So what mattered to us was we had that with 12 or 15 or 18,000 followers. We weren't willing to give that up as we increased to 50,000. So on a weekly basis, we would manually calculate that based on every single post and tracking the engagement rate on every post and looking at that weekly on a weekly average. So that that became extremely important to us. One of the most important KPIs that we looked at, because again, great, you got to 25,000, now 35 and so on. But if you're engagement dropped, none of it mattered, right? Great. You could have 50,000 followers. If you're getting one like on a piece of content, nothing matters at that point. So certainly reach matters, but engagement rates, probably one of the most important metrics that the social team looks at. We also care about what kind of traffic is being driven back to our .com from what is being published and promoted. Because the content team as a whole spends so much time at creating rich and new and different forms of content, right? Our team as a whole, not just social, not just the work that I do, but the content team, everyone that is under my VP, like I said, they produce all of our eBooks, all of our videos, all of our blogs, social, influencer, private community work. So there's this surge of content, our podcast, that all lives on our .com that we have a natural want and need to pull people in. So we look at that. One of the other things that's a a little harder to measure, like you're not going to go reference it in an analytics package or something, is how we take advantage of that content, how much of it is integrated, right? Because you you don't want to just keep creating new new podcasts, new podcasts, and over here in a different silo, the blog's just, you know, that team's always creating something new. So how can we record a video with with an influencer or a customer or prospect or what have you on a certain topic on success with fill in the blank, but also now, you know, write a blog post with that, maybe extract that content, put it into an ebook, right? You can take advantage of this all the way across. So now one piece of content becomes three or four or five pieces of content, all of which then is naturally being shared on social because social is essentially the end of that funnel for content to be shared out through. So we do try to focus on that. Again, that's not something you're going to open up an analytics package and see. You're going to see the natural views and, and you know engagement. But we do try to drive that a lot within our team. Yeah, interesting. But what I've seen, what I've also observed, and a lot of our customers also kind of uh, talk about in social ballot is that attribution is becoming tricky. 
So more and more content is like not attributable, right? How do you kind of deal with this type of content? The term dark social has been making rounds again. How how does that work out? Uh, how do you kind of handle that? Well, we measure as much as we can measure, right? Uh, we have a phenomenal marketing and operations team that I can never speak enough of. You know, they are by far in all of the companies I've ever worked in. They are by far the best at what they're able to measure and kind of pick apart for us and the different tools they have to dig in. Dark social at the end of the day is another way to talk about word of mouth. It's the new fancy kind of phrase of late. Dark social is similar to if you and I are talking right now and I recommend a a product and you go, you know, that looks really good and I trust this person. So I'm going to go purchase that product or a text or an email or, you know, fill in the blank of whatever community or, you know, communication that you're having. That's always been hard to attribute because unless it's on a form fill that you can attribute it back to me or back to that community or that social channel, that's always going to be hard to directly attribute. So many times you have to look at it at the brand awareness level, right? A lot of the stuff that we do in private communities, we know that it contributes to pipeline, but I can't ever tell you for the most part that, you know, that this one replying, this one thread in this one community, you know, directly attributed to X pipeline because I can talk to the rep and the rep said that sort of thing is hard from a brand awareness perspective, though, we work with our customer marketing team to have them work with our customers to engage in threads in these communities that maybe people are asking about our product or our company. Maybe they're asking about our competitors or comparison between the two or a, a certain product or solution that we you know, can help with something like intent data or ABM or technographics or something, right? So that's where we can bring to bear our resources within, say, a private community, where and how that contributes to, say, a sale, something that can be directly attributed, is hard unless you do things like some of the obvious, right? Track the links or promotion codes or things that you would see anywheres. But it's, like I said, it's in a lot of ways a rebranded a rebranded version of word of mouth. Yeah, the old is new and the new is old. So yep, absolutely. Exactly. Makes a lot of sense. You also talked about influencer marketing. What does influencer marketing mean for like a B2B company like DemandBase? And how do you kind of approach it? Sure. B2B, when you look at B2B influencer marketing, the major difference, you know, and something I'm asked often about is how does it compare with B2C, for example. In in B2C, typically, as most of us know, you're dealing with one buyer, maybe two. Maybe the husband is convincing the wife that you really need that bigger TV and that you can squeeze out those extra couple inches. But in B2B, naturally, it's a much larger buying committee and it goes deeper within the organization. You're not just selling most of the time to say the CFO 
or just to the CMO if it's a marketing product. You you have that larger buyer committee that's around that person in a longer deal cycle. So with B2B influencer marketing, with the things that I deal with, for example, we look to try to influence that broader community, that broader buyer group through campaigns that will engage them in, in hopefully new and unique ways. It does no good if that person sees the literally exact same campaign come out of this company as they do out of ours, as they do out of the next three. None of it's unique. Maybe the people engage with it because they still trust that influencer based on previous trust they built up and their history and all the content that they've created. But we really look to do things that are different and out of the box that appeals to both a wider group, right? So B2B marketing. But if we have something specific, let's take ABM, for example, to find influencers in that niche that we can work with because we know that they have a dedicated audience that tends to rotate towards, in that example, ABM, right? Or they're in a in a general profession that deals with that. So you can work with creators of all sizes, right? In the, there's the typical influencer kind of pyramid of you know what you're termed at what level, whether it's a mega influencer, or celebrity, a macro, what have you. And depending on our strategy and our campaign, will help guide who we want to work with, whether we want the broader focus area. So we work with influencers with a much larger audience, or if we want to go something much tighter and much more specific, we work with a smaller, very influential audience to that exact topic. Interesting. So influencers that are kind of creating content on a particular topic or in the general industry area, but you wouldn't work with Kim Kardashian, for example, right? We couldn't afford Kim Kardashian <laughs> even if we wanted to. <laughs> but she wouldn't know about uh, your tool and your industry. Exactly. Exactly, though, right? Yeah. You have to have people that are relevant to what you care about, what your brand cares about. Also, and this applies to B2C as well, but a brand should only align themselves with influencers that share similar values as them. Maybe when you get up to the to the bigger companies, the Fortune 10s and 50s and things of that nature that can afford celebrities, they should still be aligned on value. But you're really paying for massive reach at that point. You're talking Super Bowl ad level and, and whatnot. But you really want to ensure that that influencer aligns with your values. Because what you don't want to get caught with for example, is you work with this influencer, with this influencer group, and then you find out after the fact that over on Twitter, they very vocally are expressing their views about something that doesn't align with your brand or could actually pull your brand into a crisis because you've aligned with them. So almost in a way, you share these values by default, even though it's something you've taken a public stand against, potentially, you know, so there's a lot of that work that has to go into figuring out that, you know, working with that. And then 
building the strategy of what type of content do you want to create with them? What's going to be the most impactful and how can you integrate it? Right? Like I talked about with integrated content that we try to work with, that's almost a pure mandate with our influencer campaigns. It's not going to be just in a silo of great, we created five videos with five influencers. No, that does us no good as a company. It has to be integrated. Right. Talk to me more about your content strategy with influencer. Feel free to take an example if you like. Like I'm trying to dig deeper into how does like a campaign work with an influencer. I'll give you two two kind of quick examples. One that was, well, I guess both have been recognized as being a bit out of the box, but one was for the brand launch that I mentioned last year, February 8th. So as we record this, it's February 6th. You know, we came up with the idea of working with an agency to do this out-of-the-box uh, interactive comic. And so what it was, was our newly launched mascot called DB fighting against, you know, all these things that the brand was coming out to say we don't agree with or we fight against as a brand. And we worked with influ- a series of influencers that were part of part of this and we turned them into comic book characters and as superheroes and to go fight against these supervillains. So that was the actual tactical piece, right? We had this on our website. It was this uh, interactive infographic or comic. But then we had a ser- series of content pieces that we worked with the influencers on. So we gave them each their own social card that had them as their comic book character. And with some of those influencers, we actually gave them designs for something that they're known for. So as an example, Jay Bear is known for his plaid suits. Well, his comic book character has a plaid suit. And Hanley is known for her very floral pants suits when she speaks on stages. So her comic book character had something similar because she was a superhero of ours, right? So there was that community, there was that plan. They went out with their, you know, all their assets and everything that we worked with them on. Obviously, from our side, we had our content that we developed that went out through our brand channels and was also provided to our employees. So that was one example. Another one I just did a few months ago, it's probably actually a little longer than that, was that we worked with a private community called the Women in Sales on a 100 Most Powerful Women in Sales list. And a lot of times companies would take that list, publish it, be done with it, right? Be like, here's great, top 25, top 50, whatever. And that's it. We took that list. We created social cards for each one of those women. I reached out to everyone individually and said, great, you've been featured on this list. Here's a personalized social card. Here's some sample messaging if you want to use it. You don't have to. So we did that outreach. So we had at that point, we had the blog plus 100 people that we outreached to. Then I went back to all 100 of those women and asked them a single question around sales in, in a recession. 30 of them, which was more than I kind of expected, but 30 women came back with an answer. We took those responses and made an ebook out of it. That ebook 
had four pillars was how we designed it. So that became four blog posts built out of that. So now you have four more pieces of content built off the ebook, which was built off kind of start to see the, the kind of string that runs along. We did four podcasts with those same women based off of that. I went out to all, those 30 women with their with their quote cards. So now we, besides the initial cards that they had gotten for the being featured, now they had quote cards so that they could communicate out their role in the ebook and in the podcast. And so it's just a way to design a multi-threaded kind of campaign that not only helped the business, it was, you know, certainly an area of the business last year, the kind of selling in a recession and things, but it we did it aligned with in time for some other things that were happening around uh, Women in Sales Month. So we had timed it for that. So we did all this pre-work so that come mid-October, I believe it was, we could launch it, kind of grab some of the that period of time. And what it did in every strategy should do, every outreach should do, is it reinforced relationships with some and it built new relationships with others that now are much more amenable when we go out and we reach out for something else we're doing. That's interesting. I think two very different examples. The comic book was looked like a fun project. And the second one, love the way how, you know, uh, multiple content were created out of just like one big idea. So yeah. um, I'm sure a lot of work has gone into that. And that sounds like pretty interesting and exciting campaign. That one was a much more of a grind of uh, I'm sure. just a lot of typing on the keyboard. I'm pretty sure. How do you tie this back to like, how do you measure whether this campaign is working or not from a you know measurement perspective, ROI perspective? Sure. We look at if you just take that campaign, because it's the newest one, it, all these different pieces of content that were integrated. We certainly keep track of on a per influencer basis, their engagement. So have they shared? Yes or no. If they've shared, we monitor over a 7, 14, and 30-day period of time their engagement through their channels. Because now we, we've saved the link that they've shared, let's say LinkedIn, right? We go grab that link and save it. And now my team can go back and double check those metrics. So you do that. And also primarily go back and watch our, our Google Analytics traffic and look for not only traffic, but I also care about you know stuff like time on site and bounce rate because it allows me to... I, I, really curious about how that compares to other pages on our website, right? So with, for example, if we go back to the comic from last year, that was at launch. It was the second most highest time on site out of all pages on our website at launch. The only other one, well, I should say third, the First one being the the home page, but for almost every company, you can kind of remove that, right? That's always going to be the the default. The only other one was a podcast that was like a thirty minute podcast. So naturally, people are sitting on that podcast uh, page to listen to the podcast. is a is a fair assumption. 
So that was the most visitor, second most visited page with time on site. It also that also had the lowest balance rate and some other things as well. But I care to look at that stuff. Right now, we're in the middle of a campaign for once again a list, but it was 25 marketing executives to learn from in 2023. That launched exactly one week ago. And about 30% of the influencers have shared. And right now, it's the seventh most visited page on our site over the last week, including the homepage. That's pretty exciting. I like the idea of creating list of influencers and kind of sharing them. I, I'm just trying to... My brain is exploding with the number of, you know, reshares and likes that <laughs> those links will have since influencers will share them. So I think that's an exciting idea. Absolutely. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening.